Hey, this is Michael Scobie. We're so honored that you're tuned into our podcast today. Whether you're part of our Vibrant Church family in person or online, I want to encourage you to connect with us on social media. Just search Vibrant HTX on all social media markets. You can also go to VibrantHTX.com to hear about things going on, connect with a life group, or even get to know some of our pastoral team. We pray this message inspires you, challenges you, and helps you make your next step in following Jesus. Let's jump into the message. Love it, love it, love it. <clears throat> so glad that you guys are here today, Memorial Day weekend. Thank you for being at church. My name is Michael, my wife Carmen and I. We have the tremendous honor and privilege of serving this church as lead pastors. I want to take just a quick moment. I want to welcome all of our online family in with us, wherever you're watching from. Uh, some of you, even at the Vibrant family, you might be out of town watching us online. We love you. We're praying for you. Uh, we're glad that you're with us. Can we welcome the online family in today? Let's do it. Amen. Amen. That being said, today we have something very, very special uh, for you. Uh, in service today, instead of hearing from one, you're going to get to hear from two speakers today, and it's going to be an incredible, incredible. They both have uh, words that are uh, just very, very timely for our church. And so what I love about these two individuals is that they are faithful, they love people, and they know the word. They study the word, they love people, they're faithful. And so that being said, I'm going to get out of the way so they can speak and do what they are here to do today. But they're going to go back to back tag team preaching. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Uh, but I'd like to welcome Nate Vega and Megan Walters today. Can we give it up for them today? Y'all, that, that was good enough for me. Can we give it up one time for Jesus, the King of Kings? <clears throat> Man, I'm glad y'all are here today. Gotta love technology, right? Oh, I do. I believe it, man. I'm so excited, dude. I don't know about you, but I absolutely love the worship team, especially that one singer with the orange pants on. She is a hottie. I'm telling you what. Well, hey, check this out, guys. I'm going to just leave that alone. Uh, guys, what's up? My name is Nate. So excited you guys are here today. Um, I, and along with my wife, Victoria, uh, that lady with the orange pants. Uh, <laughs> sorry, we're married. It's okay. Um, we have the honor of leading vibrant students here at the church, and uh, I'm excited to be bringing this word, but uh, real quick before I do, I just want to thank Pastor Michael and Carmen, along with the rest of the team, for the opportunity. I absolutely love you guys, and uh, you guys are the reason why we're here, and I just want to say thank you for being faithful to the word and faithful to everything that you got going on. Y'all, in the next 15 minutes, uh, I am going to be on a mission, okay? I want to leave you here today with a thought that I hope will change your mind about a few things regarding evangelism and loving people, especially the lost. Um, that word evangelism had a, has a lot of baggage. I don't know if you know, but there's these people out there in Louisiana. Um, they probably just eating some really bad crawfish, but they got these picket fence signs and they're saying all these things and they're on their soapbox. And today, before you leave, I, I, want, I want to leave you with these thoughts so that way we don't end up like those guys, but instead we do it the way Jesus did. And so with that being said, let's go ahead and dive into the word. Mark 2, 
Um, real quick, some context. Jesus doing what he always does, walking around on the lakeshore. Uh, <laughs> he likes long walks on the beach. That's funny. Um, sorry, I have ADD if you can't tell. Um, he's walking across the lakeshore, and he comes up to meet this guy named Levi. Levi was a tax collector, and they were notorious for being bad dudes. But Jesus calls him and says, hey, you, follow me. And Levi's like, okay, sure. Follows Jesus, and later he gets invited to his house. And that's where we'll pick up in verse 15. I'm going to read it off my notes. It says this. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. And if you have this in your Bibles, I would encourage you to highlight it. There were many people of this kind among Jesus's followers. That's important. But when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, Jesus' disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, saying, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And in Luke 15, there's another scripture that kind of illustrates the same point. And when I preached this the last time, it kind of gave me the title for my message. It says this in Luke 15. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came up to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Ooh, so scary. Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Will you pray with me? Father God, we worship you, Jesus. This is your house and this is your message. Father, I thank you for every ear that's listening. Father, prepare their hearts to receive your word. And God, help me enunciate every word so that way it only comes out of your mouth today. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Any golfers in the house, please raise your hand so I can see you. Pastor Michael, obviously. I'm just kidding. That didn't, I wasn't trying to be mean about that, but um, uh, <laughs> I love Pastor Michael. Um, has anybody heard of the guy named Tiger Woods before? Little known guy. You probably don't know about him. Um, Tiger Woods is an absolute champion. This dude is a golfing machine. And I don't know if you know this, but he has a son. His son's name is Charlie, and I have a couple pictures that I want to show up on the screen of Tiger and Charlie. That's Tiger, the big one, and that's Charlie, the little one. And if you can't already tell, they look a lot alike. They wear the same clothes on the same day, and this is of a tournament that they were at, but they do a lot of the same things too. They do the fist bump, <clears throat> and they even pick their nose the same. <laughs> Charlie, obviously, is Tiger's son, and after years and years of watching his dad play, talking to him about golf, reading about golf, hanging out with Tiger's friends, talking with his dad, just being a son, 
he ended up being a little, a little tiger, wouldn't you say? There's this video that I would love to show you after service that shows at this tournament every single little mannerism that they do exactly the same. Every single thing. And guys, I don't know if you know this, but in the Greek, the word for Christian actually means little Christ. Little Christ. And what's ironic is that whenever the people who followed Jesus were walking around, the Greeks that didn't really like them would use this as like a, a slight or like as something to make fun of them. Oh, you little Jesus. Oh, look at you, little Jesus. But ironically, that's like what we are, right? That's who we are. We are little Christ. And today I want to challenge you with this thought. You can't be a little Christ if you don't love Levi. You can't be a little Christ if you don't love Levi. Who is Levi? Levi is the person in your life. Levi is the person in your life who doesn't talk like you or think like you or maybe even vote like you. The kind of person that you love because they're like your friend or your family, but you kind of be a little bit scared bringing them to church because you, you wouldn't know what them church folk think about you. And so you'd rather leave them at home where they can be by themselves than bring them out to the place that they probably need to be. That's Levi in your life. And I want to talk about that today. I want to challenge you with something. This is an interesting question. When was the last time a Levi in your life joyfully invited you to dinner? I find it interesting that Jesus, being perfectly God, 100% God, 100% man, who was nothing like Levi, was invited to Levi's house. I think it's a challenge for us as Christians because whenever we think of preaching the gospel or reaching the lost or doing anything like that, there tends to be like this divide between us as Christian people and them as, as Levi people. But I want to encourage you with something. You were once Levi too. And Jesus, like he pursued Levi, pursued you. And what I find interesting is that out of all the people that he could have invited to his house to eat dinner, people who probably knew more about the word or learned more about the law, he invited Jesus and I want to kind of dive deeper into that today. The title of this message whenever I pre preached it last was called A Heart for the One, the one sheep that went away. And I want to teach everyone today about how we can develop that heart. We need three things. We need to know who, know why, and know him. You see, there's a saying that says speed without direction will get you nowhere fast. Speed without direction will get you nowhere fast. Well, I'll say it like this. A desire to see the lost saved without knowing the lost in your world will get the kingdom of God nowhere fast. But it's more than just knowing of. It's knowing who. You see, in the Bible, that word for knowing has a lot of different contextual meanings. And when you see it used throughout the Bible, it actually is more often associated with things like Fully understanding, an intimate relationship, completely knowing about somebody. How do we practically do that? I don't think anybody's ever been to like knowing class. Raise your hand. That's what I thought. Nobody's ever been to knowing class. But Jesus gives us a beautiful example of how to do that. It's really simple. Y'all ready? Eat with somebody. Eat with somebody. 
when it comes to spreading the gospel and being Christ in your community, invite somebody to dinner. And here, here are three reasons why. Number one, it expresses intentionality. Hey, I made this for you. I picked up my underwear for you. I cleaned my house for you. Everything smells good, looks good, because I love you. And I want to honor you and bless you in this time. It expresses, or actually it encourages intimacy. In those days, breaking bread with somebody and why the Pharisees were so, like, um, triggered by Jesus doing that was because in those days, eating with somebody expressed acceptance. You're welcome in my home. Whatever you do, you think, you say, that's okay. You're welcome in my home. That's what they thought. Well, listen to this. When you, I skipped something, but that's okay. <laughs> when you express, hey, thank you. I appreciate that. That's real love. I love you, dude. Um, it encourages intimacy. Whenever you ate with somebody, it expressed that they were family to you. Because when you were family, you had a seat at the table. And it was very clear when you were not family because you didn't have a seat at the table. Well, I think where we as Christians might mess up is, is here. There's a difference between acceptance and affirmation. I'm going to read to you something that I wrote that kind of illustrates the two points. Here's what acceptance sounds like. I know we're all on this journey called life, and you will, or probably have, messed up like I have. I accept you where you are, and you're welcome here. But I love, love you too much to leave you dead in your sin. I'm going to love you like Christ loved me when I was in the same position as you. Affirmation sounds like this. What you're doing is okay, and there's nothing wrong with it. I agree with your current way of life and will do nothing to point you towards Christ. I fully support you doing things that hurt you and have eternal consequences. That is, that is not love. That's not love. Accepting people where, where people are at and loving people like Jesus did is the only way, the only way that we will ever show his love in the world and be able to call our friends and family to repentance in him. Here's another way to say it. Love your who like Jesus loved you. Don't ever forget, don't ever forget that we once were Levi. We were dead in our sin, yet Jesus through his life gave it up for us that we might be in right relationship with him. Is anybody grateful for that? I would hope so. Second point is know why. Jesus didn't do things like we usually do. No picket signs, no picket, no, none, none of that. But why did he do that? I think we often forget that Jesus was on a mission. He came to this earth with a purpose. Uh, in Luke 19.10, one of his purposes is to seek and save the lost. Another is to bring heaven down to earth in Matthew 6.10. 6, in Matthew 5.17, he came to fulfill the law. But I really like what, he, what is said in verse 17. The sick need a doctor, not the healthy. And I believe firmly that Jesus was the doctor that could heal the heart of man. You see, doctors analyze external symptoms and then treat the root cause. There's a reason why Jesus did what he did, because he knew there was a deeper issue that had a whole different set of steps to fix it. 
You see, if we try to approach life trying to change people's behavior and trying to make them do the things that we know are right, we'll never get anywhere. Because there is a difference between somebody who does something wrong and somebody who is spiritually, as the Bible would say, dead in their sin. People don't need to have a Band-Aid. They need to fix the broken bone. You know what I mean? And only Jesus can do that very thing. The last is this, uh, know him. Has anybody seen the movie Donnie Brasco? You probably shouldn't raise your hand because it's a really bad movie. It's probably rated R. <laughs> don't, don't say it. But to make a long story short, uh, Donnie Brasco is about this cop that went undercover, okay? He goes undercover, but he ends up letting the culture of his surroundings defile him. And he becomes a bad dude. Well, there's a story in the Bible that kind of reminds me of this in Isaiah 6. Isaiah is in the throne room of God, and he sees God right in front of him. And he recognizes, oh, my goodness, I'm a sinful guy. I can't be here right now. And he starts crying out. But an angel goes and takes a coal off the altar and uses it to cleanse his lips. So when God says, who will go out and spread my message, Isaiah has confidence enough to say, I will, Lord, send me. You see, when we go into the world, we need to be like Jesus was, a cleansing cold to our surroundings. But here's the warning. If you're too cold, you get defiled instead of have any cleansing. And in those days, it was such a big deal that the religious people were so stern about it. Every single thing. Is that clean? Is that dirty? But Jesus has called us to be like him in the world, the little Christ. Go represent me and be like me. But the warning is you have to be hot enough. I encourage you, church, stay close to the Father because you'll be staying close to the fire. And the longer you're there, the longer you're in the heat, the more that you'll be hot, the more you'll be able to cleanse. And so with that, before you go out into the world, I want to encourage you, please know your word. Please pray. Please worship God. Be in the fire because I would hate for the surroundings of the world to hurt us more than help us. With that being said, I, I want to encourage you guys. Um, if we're the average of our five closest friends and Jesus isn't on that list, we're heading in the wrong direction. And I want to encourage you guys, whoever is in the room that needs to know Jesus, if it's your first time or you've been knowing him for a while, you just kind of fell off, I want to encourage you. He is waiting with open arms, ready to receive you and hold you and bring you home and raise you above his head and say, look, I found my lost sheep. Will you all pray with me? Father God, we love you and we thank you, Jesus. We honor the things that you've said. We appreciate you. Lord, please help us, God, to know our who, know your why, and get closer to knowing you. We love you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. And with that being said, let's give it up for Megan as she comes onto the stage. Hey, guys. Man, this is so exciting. Um, not only am I excited to speak, I was super excited to hear Nate, and he did not disappoint. Can we give it up for Nate one more time? Such an awesome word, so timely. So my name is Megan, if I haven't met you yet. Um, I have the honor of serving here on the Dream Team along with my husband, and we have four kiddos, two of who are in the room with me, and I do definitely say that kind of like bragging. I have four kids, and I am still alive, <laughs> um, but we love Vibrant Church. We love to be here, and it's an honor to get to speak to you this morning. One of those awesome kiddos, my oldest, Brody, we were at the bus stop. <laughs> 
<laughs> he's not shy at all. We were at the bus stop a couple weeks ago, and he just finished third grade. And, you know, third grade is the first time that you take the star test in Texas, and it's like a really big deal. He had just finished star, and um, he's like, Mom, you know, what's the point of going to school anymore? Star's over. We're not doing anything in school. And he's like, you know, 95% of people at school, they just hate it. They hate school. And I was like, you know, in his dramatic nine-year-old way, and I was like, Brody, that's not true. I was like, it's just the end of the year. You guys are tired. You're ready to be done. And I was like, but this is a good opportunity to practice some endurance. You know, in your whole life, you're going to have to have endurance. And at the moment that I said that word, the Holy Spirit reminded me of the scripture in Romans 5, 3 through 4, where it says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. We glory in our sufferings. Some translations say we rejoice in them. Rejoice in our sufferings? Like, that doesn't make any sense in our human brains, right? But as I began to study the scripture in Romans, I discovered something pretty awesome. Suffering in the scripture can mean, of course, like we, we automatically associate suffering with affliction or distressing circumstances or trials. But one of the definitions caught my eye whenever I looked up this word in the original Greek. It's distress of mind. Most of what we deal with on a daily basis is in our minds, right? Even when everything's going okay, we have jobs, um, there's food on the table, our bills are paid, everyone's healthy. There can still be that little nagging distress in our minds. You know, when is the, the next shoe going to drop? Or whenever we hear about something tragic that happened just a few miles away in Texas, there's distress in our hearts and our minds. And a while back, I read a book that said that 75 to 98 percent, 75 to 98 percent of illnesses in our bodies are a direct result of our thought life. Isn't that insane? Whenever you think, you build thoughts, and these become physical substances in your brain and in your body. And this works both positively and negatively. There have been people who were told, you're never going to walk again. It's impossible. But whenever they decided that's not an option, their thoughts literally created new pathways for their body to to start working correctly again. We've all heard those stories of people who were told, you will never have a child or you'll never walk again, and something miraculous happened. They decided that that was not an option, and their thoughts created their reality. Um, that just goes to show you how powerful our minds really are. Y'all, I was not an athletic child growing up. I was never good at sports. I, out of my little friend group of like eight people, we all hung out together. I was literally the only one who did not do sports. I thought they were all crazy. Whenever we would do like youth group game night and we would have like volleyball, I was not involved in the volleyball game. I was sitting out on the sidelines hoping that 
my head wouldn't get struck by like a fly ball because literally every time, right, Alan? Every time I would not even be playing the game and the ball would hit me in the head. And I was the dorky kid with the glasses and my glasses would get knocked off. So I was like, no, I'm not doing sports. Um, all of my friends, every single one of them ran cross country in high school. And I just thought, they're crazy. My, and my whole experience with running up until that point was whenever we would go to PE and they would say, run a mile as fast as you can. You have to run it in this time or, you know, you're unhealthy or whatever. And so we would all just run as fast as we could and we would be like throwing up or almost throwing up at the end of the mile. And so I thought, that's all that running is. Why would I want to get up at five o'clock in the morning before school and go run miles and feel terrible? Like, you guys are nuts. Like, I know every single one of you have seen the meme that says, like, the Bible says the wicked run when no one is chasing them. So, like, why would you want to go run, right? The Bible says that it's not okay. So, I could have easily coasted on that thought pattern my whole life. I'm not athletic. I'm not good at sports. I'm not good at basketball or volleyball, so I can't do anything athletic, right? But the truth is, our bodies are controlled by our minds, not the other way around. And whenever I make up in my mind that I'm going to do something, the battle's already won. In the world of exercise, you hear it all the time, your body will tell you to quit before your mind does. And I personally found this to be true when... Here I go. I'm going to brag again. I trained for and ran a half marathon. <laughs> What's the point of running a half marathon if you can't brag about it, right? A half marathon is 13.1 miles. And y'all, in the last two miles of my race, I was experiencing this. My body was telling me, I'm done. You need to start walking. You're done. But I had learned through the 14 weeks of my training that this was a mental game. My body will, tell, will do what I tell it to do. My body will push past the pain if I decide to do it. My, my mind decides I'm going to put one foot in front of the other, not my body. So it really is mind over matter. So back to our verse in Romans 5.3. It says, not only this, but we also rejoice in sufferings. Remember, that's distress in our mind knowing that suffering produces endurance. When we push past the distress in our minds and we keep taking one step in front of the other, we find perseverance or endurance. The dictionary definition of perseverance is persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. The word for perseverance in this scripture, like I said, some say endurance means are y'all ready for this? I don't think you're ready. It means a patient frame of mind. Isn't that incredible? So whenever we rejoice, we can rejoice in our mental distresses because they produce a patient frame of mind. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So when you decide not to conform to the pattern of the world, you're exercising the patience muscle in your brain. When you make the choice to love your enemies, 
at work or speak kindly to or about people who annoy you or who are flat out rude to you. Whenever you decide to actively love your spouse, maybe even though they haven't shown you any love, whenever you decide to give your 10% that God commanded you to, even though it doesn't make sense, whenever you decide to set your alarm on a Sunday morning or a Saturday prayer morning coming up this Saturday, even though you really just want to sleep in, whenever you continue to hug your kids and speak words of life over them and pray over them, even when they make you really angry. All of that God is using to transform your mind. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, but we have the mind of Christ. What does that mean? How do we have the mind of Christ? How do we get the mind of Christ? How do we not conform to the pattern of this world? Let's take a peek into Christ's mindset during the moment of his suffering. In Matthew 26, we read the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Verse 36 says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So how do we respond to suffering? First of all, we pray. That's what Jesus did. He went to God in prayer. And he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. And if you've been through our freedom group, um, you learned, and if you haven't yet, you have the opportunity to sign up in August whenever we relaunch our fall life groups. We learn in freedom that your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. So he was definitely telling us that he was experiencing distress in his mind, that suffering that we just talked about. Verse 39, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So the second thing we do is we submit our will. He asked for this cup to be taken from him, but... He submitted his will to his father's. And notice how he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's mind over matter. Verse 42 says, he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. So what do we do? We submit in prayer again and again. He prayed a second and a third time for God's will to be done. He's modeling persistence in prayer. When we're still facing the issue, even after we prayed, when we're still facing the circumstance and the sorrow and the anxiety and the depression and we still don't feel good, what do we do? We go back to the Father. 
Verse 45 says, he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See the hours at hand and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See my betrayer is at hand. The last thing we do is we are obedient to God's will. He put one foot in front of the other and went to the cross. The scripture says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Even though his body was weak, he submitted his mind, his will, and his emotions to the Father. Paul models this again in Acts 20, He says, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So this is how we too have the mind of Christ. We do what, we, what he did. We pray. In our moments of overwhelm, we submit again to God's will. We pray again, and we pray again. We rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces endurance or patience of mind. But what's the rest of that scripture? We know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Perseverance produces character. Character means you've been tried and approved, you've passed the test, your resume made it through all of the hoops and you got the job. Character means moral strength. There we are back to the muscle analogy again. Suffering is actually producing strength in us. And the really great news is that our character produces hope. So what's the point? of suffering. How can we rejoice in suffering? Because it ultimately produces hope. And hope is what literally sets us apart from unbelievers. The Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust. Every single one of us is going to face hardships. Paul said he, he knew the Holy Spirit showed him that he was going to face hardships and prison. And yet he still went and he did what the Lord wanted him to do. Everyone suffers. Everyone has hard times. But our response to suffering is what brings God the glory. If you'll stand with me. As I started studying this scripture, I began to ask the Lord, what does suffering for your righteousness look like in my life? I mean, we all suffer. Life in a broken world is hard, just all the way around, whether or not you serve the Lord. But here in America, I recently read the story about Stephen in the Bible being dragged out and just stoned in the streets. That's not happening here. So what is my suffering for your righteousness look like? And just in a wonderfully poetic moment, I guess you could say, my toddler started screaming in that moment and she has been crying so much lately and the holy spirit was like this <laughs> this is your suffering because this means your life is not your own 
You've given up your life, your talents, your intelligence, everything that people told you, you're too smart to just be a stay-at-home mom, or you're too this or whatever, you're too assertive or, you know, whatever it is. Your personality, you're not a stay-at-home mom. Everything that I have that the world has told me should be used in service outside of my home, I'm using it to raise these little tiny disciples. Everything is given up to the Lord's purposes. So in this moment, I wanna ask you, what suffering, what distress in your mind do you need to submit to God? What have you been complaining about or asking for your will for? What is it that you need to bring to God's feet and say, let this cup pass from me, but not as I will, your will be done. Our prayer team is gonna come back. And as we all pray, every single one of us has something that we've been complaining about. And we've been saying, God, I want you to take this away. I want you to take away this thorn in my flesh. But what if he really just wants to use that to refine you and produce patience of mind and character and hope and ultimately bring glory to his name? What is it that you have been trying to get rid of that he wants to make his name famous with? What is it that we need again to submit to his will? So I wanna invite you to come forward to our prayer team if you wanna pray with someone, but each and every one of us needs to ask the Holy Spirit, what is it in this moment that I have been complaining about that I just need to submit again to your will? Can we pray and worship in this moment together?
Come on, right now, can we just lift up a shout of praise to a good God? Come on, let's give him some praise and worship and adoration. Amen, amen. Did these, did these messages speak to anybody else in this house? These messages speak to anybody else? Can we give it up for Nate and Megan? Incredible job, incredible. Amen, amen, amen. I pray that you put these words into action, that you would love the Levi, that you would embrace the suffering, whether it's on the inside or the outside, that the Lord would produce hope and character inside of you. We love you very much. Join a life group this week, and we'll see you next Saturday for Pray First next Saturday morning. Be blessed in Jesus' name.